You're listening to a sermon podcast from Church at the Gates, where we desire for real people to meet the real Jesus and experience real change. We pray that God might use the next few minutes to draw you closer to Him. We're going to be in Genesis 1 today, Genesis 1 and 2. Uh, And so I would tell you what page it's on, but it's page 1 of your Bibles. Grab the one in front of you, this is page one. And while you're doing that, I wanna show you a picture from uh, my time in South Korea. For those of you who don't know, I am an adjunct professor at a Bible institute there in South Korea. And I go once a year uh, to teach the book of Psalms over 10 hours. And so these are some of the students that we had. And what I love about this, man, is the majority of the, of the young men and young women in that, in that image want to go be pastors, missionaries, Christian leaders somewhere in Asia. Like it is, of all the things I do, it's one of the things that I see as like super impactful for the gospel. And and, and what I wanna say is, I wanna say thank you for making space for me to go. I wanna thank Cato and Danny for preaching on forgiveness so powerfully and so well. Thank you for having uh, Craig and Cam join us. Like it was was a phenomenal trip and we're actually taking a team back in uh, in July. If you'd like to be a part of that to help with their camping ministry, it's a ton of fun. Uh, Actually, we're taking a trip to Kenya and South Korea. Uh, Kenya or South Korea in July. August, uh, we're going to Kenya. Raise your hand if you remember Pastor Peter, uh, Peter Odonga. Okay, good. I talked to him this week and he said, tell your people I love them and there's nothing they can do about it. <laughs> like, okay, all right, sure. I'll tell them that message. Do with that whatever you will. Uh, but look, if you're interested in missions at all, you're interested in coming to South Korea with us or to Kenya with us. Two weeks from today, March 17th, after second service, we'll have a short informational meeting. We'll give you all the details of all of that. You, it's no commitment to come, but we would love to have you come and see what the Lord is doing in other places and what it looks like for you to partner in that. All right, will you pray with me as we invite the Lord into this process? God, we are grateful. I think about this every time I come up here to preach. Uh, God, that I'm not preaching, I'm not trying to preach my own words. God, you are a transcendent, powerful God who created everything by speaking, but you did not stop. You gave us your word. And God, sometimes, even when I say that, uh, it feels so familiar to me that it loses its power. But the transcendent God of the universe spoke that I could hear. And so God, as we open your word, Would we receive it? God, would it speak with power? God, anything that's not from your word, would it fall uh, from my notes, fall into the crowd, onto the floor? God, we desire to be conformed to the image of your son, and you have spoken into existence your word. God, teach us to treasure that. And so God, we pray that you would do whatever is necessary in our hearts today to remove distractions. God, we give you our hearts Uh, We give you ourselves fully. Take from us the things that do not honor you. We give you permission uh, to shake our idols. We give you permission to look under the dark areas of our hearts, to find the parts of our lives that don't yet conform to you. God, we pray that you would be gracious and merciful with us as we give that to you. And God, if we will not give it to you, would you take it from us by any means necessary? Holiness is better, better, than the temporary pain and pleasure of sin. So we ask that you would do these things for your glory and our joy. Amen. <clears throat> a lot of you know 
Uh, a lot of you know uh, about a, my recent hobby, disc golf. And uh, I think I relate everything to it. It is, it is a parable for life. It is a parable for marriage. Uh, and I was thinking about like how hard it is to learn. It's a stupid Frisbee. Do you know how hard it is to throw a Frisbee in the woods? It is really hard. And uh, it takes a lot of technique and it takes practice and there's two different types of throws and I'm not good at any of them. And, uh, and there's all these videos on YouTube on form videos and how to do this and how to move your hips. And it's like this really convoluted dance with a Frisbee. And uh, it's interesting. Like anything else in our lives, how we practice it matters, right? How we practice uh, basketball matters. If you do it poorly, it replicates poorly on the court. If I practice poorly, it replicates poorly all the time. Uh, How we practice matters. Our form, how we do things matters. It's the same for church. It's the same for the Christian life. How we practice our faith matters. How we practice perseverance matters. How we, how we organize and worship God matters. How we understand what it means to be male and female matters. Like these really significant things, the form matters on how we do things. It's the same for the church, how we practice church, how we organize the church, how we operate as men and women, how we follow the Lord. All of that has a form that's been designed by God. And when we deviate from that form, we don't employ that form in our lives. We suffer the consequences. Our life limps along. We want these things that are greater. We see the promises of God. And yet if we are not living in design, living in design of how we're supposed to live, according to God's design, we never experience all that God has for us. The form of how we live matters. And actually, for the next seven weeks, we're gonna take a break for Easter, but the next seven weeks outside of Easter, we're gonna spend some time talking about men and women and the mission of God. What it means that we're made in the image of God. What it means that God has given us a mission. And what implications that has for marriage. What is it? What does it mean uh, to be a man and a woman in marriage? What does it mean to, for two to become one flesh? What does it mean for men and women to serve together in the church? And, and how does that work? And how is that organized? And, and all of that. And so for the next seven weeks, we're gonna kind of work through kind of each part of this. And to our knowledge, I've been now your pastor for seven and a half years or so. To our knowledge, uh, the church is never like, overtly said or determined or said, man, this is what we believe the word of God says on these issues. And so for the next seven weeks, we're gonna spend some time doing that. Uh, Partly because clarity is kindness, right? Over the last seven and a half years, uh, the people in our congregation who have suffered most with a lack of clarity about men and women, in particular in the church, what it means are the women of the church. And so uh, I've, I've sat with many of them, I've, many of you, I've, I've talked, and I just want to say from the elders and from myself, I'm sorry it took so long. It was a failure of leadership that we want to correct. We think a church where the men and women of God work together and understand how God has created the church to work for the mission of God only makes us better. And so for the next seven weeks, we're going to tease that out uh, in a bunch of different ways and <clears throat> Uh, a year and a half ago, the elders started working on this and reading and listening and writing and reading and listening and writing. And so the, the then elders were working on it and the now elders finished it. And uh, the culmination is this, a 60-page paper. We've got copies in the lobby and everyone's going to get one in your email uh, if, you're, if you're on our email list. Our desire is that 
we show you how we think the Lord has organized uh, men and women and the church and marriage. Because we think there's nothing more important than that for this church right now. And so uh, our, our desire is, okay, number one, we hope that you don't do exactly what we would do if someone gave us a 60-page paper. Jump to the conclusions. Right? We just, we just hope, like, look, we live, let's just acknowledge, we live in a world of, like, uh, dopamine-fueled scrolling and, and uh, news, news, news things that are two minutes long and outrageous. And so we've kind of lost the ability to kind of track an argument and all of that. And, and, and so we, we encourage you to take your time with this. We're, we're literally going to preach through this. And so if you missed a Sunday and you've read this, you won't have missed a Sunday. You should come, though. Uh, it covers a ton of scripture, and at the back, it's got implications for us here at the church. And that's just a word that means, hey, some things are going to change at the church for the better. Uh, and there are no, like, massive overhaul changes from my perspective. But we want to make sure whatever changes we're proposing, you know about now, and you can see why. And we say, man, let's do this at a pace our church can sustain. And so all of that, all of that is kind of pretext we are really hopeful about the future of this church. Really excited about what the Lord has. Why? Not necessarily because we've written 60 pages, but because we believe the Lord honors churches who follow his word to the best of their ability and try to organize around how he's designed that. We believe he's gonna honor all attempts at obedience, imperfect or not. And so we would encourage you to grab a copy of this. If you, uh, if you need a physical copy, there's some out there in the lobby. We will email this out to everyone and you've got it. Uh, if you have questions, because uh, we know like a series like this can, can bring questions from marriage and life and sexuality and gender and, and, and church structure and all of that. And we also know that all of us bring some level of anxiety and worry. And, and look, we just want to acknowledge that. Like, it's okay. Like, welcome to my last year and a half. Uh, and so we would just invite you. If you've got questions, will you read that document? Will you give us, give us that kindness? We'd love to meet with you. And we're going to put up a, a number in the next few weeks where you can anonymously text in whatever questions you've got about this. And at the end of the series, we'll have a Q&A that's structured so that we can kind of answer whatever other questions. Like, we desire this to be as a dialogue as much as possible. And we think there aren't, there aren't like a diminishing number of conversations where this is valuable. We think this is valuable just to talk about. So uh, kind of with all of that as pretext, we're excited for this sermon series and believe that uh, as we look at God's design, it helps set us straight. It helps set the course for who we are. So we're gonna be in Genesis 1 and 2 today. We're gonna read all or large sections of that. I'm gonna give some observations about God and man and woman. I wanna, I wanna then at the end kind of draw together some important conclusions. And then I wanna offer an application for us all. Fair warning, like we're gonna, there's like 17 points in this sermon. So uh, if you want to take pictures, take pictures. If you want to write down, I, I've done my best to condense it. We're going to kind of get after uh, this right now. Genesis 1, 26 through 31. It's not on the screens. So grab your copies of God's word on your phone. Genesis 1, 26 through 31, or the seatback Bible in front of you. Verse 26. Then God said, let us make man in our own image after our likeness. And let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over the livestock and over the, all the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his, own, in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. And God blessed them. And God said to them, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it. 
And have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heaven and over every living thing that moves on the earth. And God said, behold, I have given you every plant yielding seed that is on the face of the earth and every tree with seed in its fruit and you shall have them for food. And to every beast of the earth and every bird of the heavens and everything that creeps on the earth and everything that has breath of life, I have given every green plant for food. And it was so. And God saw everything he had made and behold, it was very good. And there was evening and there was morning the sixth day. Uh, God makes a couple declarations in verse 26. These declarations kind of frame out uh, verses 27 to 31. Uh, kind of the, these overarching kind of subjects that he begins to detail. The, the, these two declarations are this. Let us make man in our own image after our own likeness. That's declaration number one. And then declaration number two is let us, let them have dominion, dot, 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 over all the earth. I mean, he uses every, he just... Let them have dominion over this whole thing. Verse 27, which follows verse 26, immediately expands point number one. Let us make man in our own image after our own likeness. Verse 27 says this, so God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him, male and female, he created them. We have to stop here. We have to ask ourselves, what is the significance of being made in the image of God. It's the first time it shows up in the creation narrative. It is distinct from all other creation. No other created thing, being, or anything has been given the image of God but us. And so what, uh, what does that mean? Why is that important? Let me give you three things, uh, three reasons we, we understand this to be really important. Number one is we have attributes then from God. That is to say, uh, when, when my oldest son, Eli, was born, he uh, came out of the womb, and you could tell he fell from my family tree. Sorry, bud. Uh, and Facebook was just working on their, like, face algorithms, and we posted a picture of, of Eli, and it said, do you want to tag Mark Pritchard in this? And I was like, well, no, that's a two-year-old baby. That's not me. Uh, but, like, it just means we have attributes. We share things, attributes, desires, like our father. And so we think about, we think about what that means, our, our, our idea of love comes from him. Our desire for justice comes from him. Our ability to have anger and do not sin. And, and look, we don't have all of the attributes that God has. Like we are not omniscient, we are not om, uh, omnipotent. And yet a great deal of who we are reflects, however imperfectly, the image of God. And so what this means is like we look like the God who created us in character, in emotion, and we have the capacity to look like him and to image him. Number two, uh, second thing, what it means to have the image of God is it means we have a soul. That this is unique in all creation. That no other created being has a soul, which means no other created being can commune with God. And no other, no other no, God de desires no communion with any other being. So when he breathes life into us, his image is into us. And as the, the writer of Ecclesiastes says, eternity is written on our hearts, that there is within us an ability and desire to commune with the one who created us. And that is from God himself. That is distinct in all creation. We have souls and eternity in our future. Number three, we reflect the triune nature of God. We reflect the triune nature of God. What I wanna do is I wanna tease this out a little bit because uh, I think it's, a, it's an important foundation of how we understand God and what it means for us. We, we reflect the triune nature of God. The doctrine of the Trinity that is, uh, how we understand who God is, is this. God is three persons in one essence. 
God the Father, God the Son, God the Spirit. God is three persons in one essence. Say that with me. God is three persons in one essence. Now with emotions, God is three persons in one essence. This is critical. What we mean by that is, that what we mean to say is, God is not, Jesus is not a mode of God. That he is a distinct person. And what we're saying about the Trinity is uh, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit are not parts of God that are only God when they're together. The confession of the Bible and church history says this, that the Father is not the Son, the Son is not the Spirit, the Spirit is not the Father, but they all are God. They are three persons in one essence. Three persons in one essence. They are distinct. They exist eternally, co-equal. They have unity of purpose and desire. In fact, they are completely unified in essence and in purpose. There is no, God the Father does not overshadow the Son. The Son does not overshadow the Spirit. The Spirit does not glory hog against the Father. Like, they are completely united in perfect unity. Now, in making male and female, he makes two distinct persons, right? But the same essence. Both male and female are distinct and yet they are of the same essence. In the image of God, we reflect the very nature of the composition of God himself. And this is relatively heady. But when you look at the New Testament and look at how Paul refers back to the created order, he makes an argument from the Trinity. He said, if God is this and Jesus is this and the Spirit is this, and we look at how man and woman were created different, but also of the same essence, we should understand that, organ that organization, the way God has created, designed, is not accidental. And this is essentially Paul's argument in Romans 1, uh, Romans 1 where he says, you can see men and women are different. We, you can see, Paul says, that their bodies are complementary to one another. They are meant to fit together. They are created for an act. We have complementary bodies by design. Now certainly, there's more to our differences than just our bodies, but our bodies signal, they signal that we are created with a purpose and that men bring strengths and women bring strengths to the party as well and that we do this together. So why is this so important? Why, like, why are we, we talking about the Trinity and the nature of God? It's important because men and women are not interchangeable. Men and women are not interchangeable. There's no such thing as a pregnant man. Not a thing. Men and women are not inter interchangeable. They're not interchangeable in the church. They're not interchangeable in the family. They're not interchangeable in society. How we are created, that is, the, that, is that we, how we are created differently is not accidental or ancillary. That is, like there is this tendency, especially in this cultural moment, to, to erase or to demean or to downplay the differences between men and women. When we do this, we rob ourselves of joy and we rob ourselves of the fulfillment that God has asked us to fulfill as men and women. It also matters because men and women share more in common than they do in difference. Our sameness is a huge deal. The fact that we are not just opposites and some are from Venus and some are from Mars and never the twain have anything to do with each other, like that's nonsense. Like we are created of the same essence to image God the Father that in the best version of humanity, men and women labor together in our sameness using our distinction for the mission of God. 
that these things, if we look to erase or downplay how we are similar, ultimately robs us of joy and fulfillment of the mission of God. So I just want to I'm going to kind of step back. We've talked about the image of God. We've talked about God the Father, God the Son, God the Spirit. The image of God, we're, we share these attributes. We have uh, a soul. We're created in the nature of God. All of these things are rather important, and they only serve to underscore this. And I think this is really critical as we talk about theology and, and these, these, the, the way that we're structured. Here's why this matters. God created you gave you a soul, gave you his image so that he could know you. If we overlook the importance of that, we've missed the key reason we have his image. Your Labrador retriever does not have his image. He may be cute and can retrieve things, but he has no soul. He cannot talk to God. You can in all of the grandeur of creation, in all of the beautiful sunsets and sunrises, sunrises, all of that, God would choose you over the most majestic painting of of his universe all the time, every time. Our greatest good, then, will always be working to display the image of God that is within us. So we made these two, these two declarations. Let, the, uh, let us make man in our own image after our own likeness. And we kind of teased out uh, what the image was. And, and there's this other declaration he makes. Let us have dominion over all the earth. Verse 28 then expands this idea from verse 23. Or verse 26, sorry. And blessed, and God blessed them. Now there's a whole sermon there in four words, but we'll keep moving. And God blessed them. And God said to them, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it and have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heaven and over every living thing that moves on the earth. So this expansion, he kind of details what dominion means. Well, uh, this is the way it works. You're be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. And when you fill the earth, you subdue it. The mission of God is that humanity would fill the earth, would fill the earth, uh, this image of God idea kind of, kind of brings, to, brings to the fore this uh, statue of Caesar. This is Caesar Augustus. And uh, in the Roman Empire, anywhere there was a statue of Caesar that was meant to point back to a few things. One, this land is his. Number two, his rule is supreme here. And number three, whatever he says goes. And so wherever there was a statue of, of Caesar, it was not just for sculptors to create art. It was a way to show that in this land, we follow Caesar. In the same way, we are to be fruitful and multiply to the ends of the earth that we are his representatives in, uh, in and on the earth, representatives of God saying, this is who God is. This is how he rules. Come and worship him. Wherever Christians are, the rule of God and reign should be. Another way to think about it or look at it, I want to show you this picture of, of the earth at night. And so it was compiled uh, over a ton of different pictures. And this is uh, the space station and uh, all of those lights are big cities. And, uh, imagine the lights you see as everywhere the gospel is. More or less in, the, in northern Africa and in the Middle East, everywhere there's not lights, the gospel isn't. That's actually true. But like, just imagine, imagine then the mission of God is to do what Habakkuk says, that uh, the glory of the Lord will fill the earth like the waters of the sea, that the goal of the mission of God is to see a map like that 
lit up on every square inch that there is not a part of creation where the image bearers of Jesus Christ do not worship him. That's the, that is lit up by people who follow the Lord. What could be better than creation ruled by men and women, men and women who are ruled by God. So how does this work? Uh, be fruitful and multiply. We can see men and women, uh, men and women in marriage coming together and, and procreating and having kids. And, and, and the vision here is that, um, is that families uh, create villages and then villages create cities and cities create states and states create, uh, states create countries. It's called the cultural mandate. It's this vision that Christians who, who multiply themselves over time, bring the glory of the Lord and his rule and reign to every part of the earth. And they do this through the multiplication of the family, but also the multiplication uh, of gospel proclamation. And so let me just pause here because I think it, it is worth saying. When, when God made this command, Eden was perfect. Perfect. Which means that when he looks at Eve and Adam and says, be fruitful and multiply, infertility does not exist. Miscarriages do not exist. No struggles to get pregnant. None of that. All of that is a product of the fall. And so I just want to say this. If you're a husband or a wife and, and you say, man, that sounds great. We've tried and tried and tried and, and we can't have kids and, and it is the deepest passion of our heart to multiply the image of God and we can't. Let me just say this. It is a product of the fall. It is not your fault. And you are not less loved, less treasured, or less a part of the mission of God because you can't have kids. Because you know what the gospel did? The gospel made all of us responsible to this. And so I, another way to think about the, the, the mission of God here is God's plan for most marriages post-Eden is that they would be fruitful and multiply. God's command for all Christians is to go and preach the gospel. So all of us, infertile, very fertile, kind of whatever, like all, whatever that spectrum is, all of us are responsible for the proclamation of the gospel wherever there are people who don't yet know him. That's how you're be fruitful and multiply. It's not just through childbirth, though certainly marriage, marriage has a purpose in that. But if that is not, if that's not in the cards for you of brokenness, if the brokenness of the world has robbed you of that, you can still and are still part of the mission of God in a vital and critical way. Then he uses this word to subdue creation. Subdue creation. And I just, I want to just say this. Uh, the image here is gardening. Uh, we are not, not uh, people with uh, whips and guns. And, 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 and I just metaphorically, it's like, what is the image here? You are to subdue this creation. You are to use it. You are to consume it. You are to protect it. You are to create life and protect life. Like you are to use this and steward this well. I mean, how crazy would it be if we said subdue and we said we can do whatever we want with the earth and there are no repercussions. We can honor the God if we just take, and we can honor God if we just do whatever we want with this. That's like a toddler who builds a Lego tower and kicks it down. We have responsibility to creation to rule it and subdue it and garden it and care for it as God would. And so to be fruitful and multiply and subdue the image of God to the ends of the earth. So what are we talking about? The mission of God. I wanna, I wanna tease this out a little bit more. The mission of God is that men and women are to glorify God by making disciples of all people everywhere. Okay? Say it a different way. Our singular reason for living The reason we exist is to glorify God 
by imaging God in ourselves and helping others come to see the image of God in themselves. Said differently. The mission of God is for worshipers to create more worshipers. And I just want to say this. I've been in church a long time. And uh, anyone who's been in church knows this answer was coming, right? That the, the, like the thing that you can do with your life that will matter the most, that will bring you the most satisfaction is gospel proclamation. And if you're anything like me, you're like, ho-hum. I need something different. I want to just be clear, that's a problem with our own hearts. That's not a problem with the mission. That's a problem with our own familiarity, breeding contempt and wanting something else, wanting something more, wanting something different. If the mission of God that he has given us isn't enough for us, that's not a problem with God. It's a problem with our own hearts. The mission of God is for worshipers to create more worshipers. And what I love about Genesis 1 and 2 is that God has made it so that the mission cannot be ultimately and finally accomplished without both men and women. That if men and women are not working and laboring alongside each other uh, and, and, and are not unleashed equally in that yoke to, 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 to have a burden for the lost and to go to every nation, to every people, and to bring the image of God and to bring the gospel to every nation, if men and women don't do that together, it will not work. A church that doesn't do that well falters. He doesn't just need men. He doesn't just need women. He needs both. Both men and women are essential and indispensable to the mission of God. And so the world will only be filled with worshipers when men and women alike leverage all of their strengths, all of their uniqueness, all of their sameness together for the mission of God. I wanna zoom into chapter two for a second. I wanna talk a little bit about uh, how chapter two shows us Eve was made because it's so interesting. And I think, I think we can get tripped up there. And I think um, when we talk about sameness and we talk about uh, the beauty of how God has created us, we can, we can get tripped up. So let me, Genesis 1 says that it happened, male and female, verse 27. Genesis 2 tells us why and how. Read with me in your copies of God's word, chapter 2, which may be on page 1 or page 2 of your Bibles, 18 through 24, verse 18. Then the Lord God said, it is not good that the man should be alone. I will make a helper fit for him. Now out of the ground, the Lord had formed every beast of the field, every bird of the heaven and brought, to them, uh, and brought to the man to see what he could call them. Whatever the man called every living thing, that was his name. The man gave names to all the livestock of the fields, all the birds of the heaven, every beast of the field. But for Adam, there was not found a suitable helper for him. In other words, he's looking around all of creation and every, every animal, every bird, everything has a pair. It has a complement. He's missing something. So the Lord caused a deep sleep to fall upon the man. And while he slept, he took one of his ribs and closed it up in his place. And the rib that the Lord God had taken from the man, he made into a woman and brought her to the man. Then the man said, this, is, this at last is bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. This, this is my compliment. This is what I've needed. She should be called woman because she was taken out of man. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife. And they shall become one flesh. And a man and the man and his wife were both naked and not ashamed. Naked and not ashamed. Verse 18. Read this with me again. Then the Lord God, and this is the narration of how Eve came to be. The why. It is not good that the man should be alone. He's alone. 
There's no compliment for him. There's no complimentary uh, being for him. And God looks and says, this isn't good. God wasn't surprised by it. He knew like this was coming. And he says, I will make him a helper, the text says, fit for him. And if you're a woman and you read this and go, hold on, helper? And you're a husband and you said, I don't know what to do with that. I have some good news for you. Let me help us out a little bit, okay? We, we see helper fit for him. He needs a companion. He's missing something. A helper fit is, is the answer. It's funny. When we read the word helper, most of us bring a meaning to the text. We bring a connotation to the text, right? We go, nuh-uh. Eve is not there to sweep the garden. Like, oh, like whatever it is. Like, I don't, I don't know. But all we just bring this connotation because helper, helper most of the time in our society are the people who can't do better things, right? We know they're equal, but they're not smart enough or they're not, well, whatever it is. We just bring to that. And so when it says helper, we go, well, man, like if you're, if you're a guy, you're like, great, I got a helper. If you're a woman, you're like, I don't want to be a helper. Like, I want something more profound. So I want to suggest a couple of things. Number one, uh, this, this, this verb, this word ezer konegdo, in the Hebrew, has no connotation of, of like inequality, uh, has no connotation of being a lesser being or lesser important, has no connotation of the man being above or better. In fact, uh, verse 21, where it describes God taking the rib out of Eve, we use the word rib because uh, it's been translated that way. The Hebrew is side, and some of the rib is in the side. But the idea is that she was taken from the same essence as man. This is, this is a, 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 a poetical restatement of, of male and female. He created them. He said they're of the same essence. In other words, Adam is of the human essence. And I took Eve and I took that human essence and I gave it to her so that they would be co-equal. That they would be honored and valued and loved equally. That there is no version of this where, where, uh, where she gets the rib and so she's down here and he's up here. Or any, or any inverse of that. The, the, the picture here is that there is this distinction that comes from the sameness. And helper may not, may not be the easiest in terms of just what we bring to the text. Let me, offer, let me offer a couple things. Number one, like men or man. Adam needed something, which is why helper works, because he needed something he didn't have and couldn't create. And it was far more profound than we often come with help for. Secondly, in the Hebrew, when Ezra Konegdo is often used, it's often used to, dis- if Israel saying, the Lord, you are my what? Helper. You are a helper when I'm in sorrow. You are a helper when I need salvation. You come to us to help us. And so this is more often used of Yahweh, of Israel saying, in great need, come and help us. You are our great divine helper. Jesus is our helper. He rescues us. Without Jesus, all of us are helpless and hopeless. And so I just say that to to say this. What might be a better way to understand this phrase? Helper works, but I want to help give some color to it. The word ally may work better. Picture this image with me. A a man in a foxhole. It's a hole in the ground. He's got a gun. He's shooting down range at the bad guys. And he's running out of ammo. And they're advancing. And he looks around and says, "Uh uh-oh, this is not good. And God says, "Uh uh-oh, this is not good. Puts Adam to sleep in the foxhole. Grabs a rib. Creates a woman. And she appears on the scene with a bandolier of ammo and a couple M16s. 
This is, this is the image here. This is not, this is not someone who comes uh, with, without strength or without gifting. This is someone who comes with requisite strength and gifting that Adam doesn't have, that the mission of God needs in order for it to be filled out. So helper here is not some diminutive term. It is a term of someone who comes not to save like Yahweh saves, but someone who comes to partner in the work and create a complementary relationship so the mission of God can go out. She is the perfect fit for Adam. She is the perfect complement to him. They are complementary in their design and in creation. Without Adam and Eve, without the complementary design, the mission of God will not be accomplished. Genesis 1.31. And God saw everything that he had made, and behold, it was very good. And there was evening, and there was morning on the sixth day. He says, very good. Very good. He looks out, there's no brokenness. There's no sorrow. There's no suffering. There's no death. There's no discord between man and God. There's no discord between husband and wife. All is as it should be in creation. All is as it's designed to be. It's perfect. It's very good. It doesn't stay this way very long. Satan enters the picture. Men and women their marriages are, are destined for, for, for discord and, and, and frustration and sin separates us from God and, 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 and eternity changes and all of that. But for now, it's good. For now, men and women, side by side, arm in arm, hand in hand, in the face of the mission of God. And it is very good. Very good. A few conclusions. A few conclusions, framework conclusions that are important for us as we continue on. Number one, God's creation was very good. That is to say, as we understand how he's created us male and female, as he understands how he's created us together, God himself calls it good that there is differences in the genders. God calls it good that they share sameness. And so our only response is to confess that's good, that's very good, that we have these. His design and creation are inextricable. Number two, it is very good that mankind was created in God's image. We are distinct from creation. We are prized and pursued in all of creation. We have a purpose in creation. We are prized. Number three, it is very good that man and woman share the same essence. That is, uh, th that shared essence that we are human. We hold and we bear the image of God and we have a soul. It, like that signals and displays that we hold the same value to God. That one of us is not more prized, one of us is not more important, that before the Lord, he loves us equally and values us equally. Number four, it is very good that man and woman, man and woman are created with differences. In other words, we just, our distinctions, these things that make us unique as men and women are not accidental and they're not ancillary to how we understand ourselves. We cannot erase, and we should not try to erase these distinctions. We should glory in them and pursue what it means for us. We find our deepest fulfillment and joy when we acknowledge these differences and live them out in the mission of God. The mission of God is to create worshipers, for worshipers to create worshipers. I want to just say this again. Our greatest purpose in life to create worshipers. Your greatest purpose, the most fulfillment you'll ever give your life is to align your heart and your mind with that mission. If you set your heart and your mind on anything less 
in the mission of God, you will be perpetually dissatisfied, perpetually discontent, and perpetually out of reach of God's deepest blessings for yourself. Most of us will labor in our jobs, labor at school with things that will not matter three months from now, will not matter 30 years from now, will not matter an eternity from now. And yet in the mission of God, we can labor in things that are meaningful for, for eternity, for eternity. If you're looking for purpose, it's found in Genesis. If you're looking for direction, it's found in in how we're designed. If you're looking for impact, if you want your life to mean something, don't sell it for anything less than the mission of God. You will be so dissatisfied, so unhappy, and so full, so full of the worldly discontentment. Give your lives to the mission of God, to the making known and making famous of Jesus Christ to the ends of the earth. There's nothing greater than you can do than that. What greater privilege could there be than to bring the mission of God into the boardroom, bring the mission of God into the bedroom, bring the mission of God into the classroom, bring the mission of God all over your life. And you find deep fulfillment and satisfaction in exhausting yourself for things that matter, things that create eternal impact. So the impact, the, the application. Go and make worshipers. Go do it. Again, there's no, like I could get all worked up again. You want me to? I can do it. Uh, I love it. This is so exciting. Like there's nothing greater. Like there really isn't. We just sell our lives for like nothing. We sell our lives for retirement and sell our lives for comfort and sell our lives for these things that don't matter. Give your life to something that matters. You don't have to wait. You can start today in your families, in your workplaces, in your schools, in your classrooms. Do it with others. Do it with other men and women of God. Do it with your husbands and wives. Go on a missions trip this summer. Go see Peter. Go to, uh, go to South Korea with us. Or go next door and have a meal with somebody. Help us, help us have 5,000 meals with those who are near to you, far from the Lord. Like it's not as complicated. Go out and live the mission of God. And I just wanna say this. If you don't know who Jesus is, you were created by God, given a soul that you would know God. Your sin separates you from God, but because God loves you, values you, and treasures you, he sent his son to die on the cross in your place and to rise from the dead that that your rebellion doesn't have to be the last thing about you, that you can come and find forgiveness today. You can come and find life today. When we live the life that God has made us for, we find new eternity, we find new life and deep satisfaction. We were designed to live and to find joy and life and satisfaction a certain way. Form matters. How we live the Christian life matters. If we conform ourselves to the image of Christ, if we practice that, if we put our lives there, the only thing that follows that is life. The life that we lost in Eden. Follow him. When we live lives as we were designed, life follows for us and for those who don't yet know Jesus. Let's pray. God, I just, I pray for your people. I just think of how familiar uh, it is to be told there are people headed to a Christless eternity. I, I, I know how familiar it can feel 
to have a preacher say, listen, like the only thing that matters, uh, like the, the, the biggest draw of your life is the gospel. God, would you do work in my heart and in your people's heart that the mission of God, your mission to see people see the image of God in themselves and to come to salvation and to worship you, God, would you ignite our hearts? Would that be compelling? Would our hearts not grow cold to that mission? God, to those who don't yet know you in this room, pray even now that their heart is drawn to you. That despite the questions they've got, the worries they've got, they're willing to trust you with their lives. God, we pray that you would do these things in our church, in our lives, in our families for your glory and our joy. Thank you for listening to a sermon podcast from Church at the Gates. For more information about our church or to connect with us about what you've just heard, please visit churchinmissoula.com.